then it was the glue of being your uh, point of sales support or being your HR uh, support or helping you with some technical stuff. And now it's, it's transitioned really into being the glue for people who are trying to find a job. I tell my students, I want the work that we do at Bronte Enterprises and the Career Service Station to be remembered 500 years from now. And of course, that's not something that we can easily predict. Sure. But if, if somebody who's hard on their luck, that I took a piece of paper and made them into the, find the job they desire and deserve, and then that passes on to the next generation, the next generation, there's where we find that scope impact. Uh, so I think by doing that boring work well and helping people, we all gotta work. We all want to work. You know, there's yeah. that balance there. Uh, and I think the work that we're doing will leave that legacy behind of being able to uh, leave that lasting impact uh, in, in putting people in the right place. So I want to welcome Robert Brothe from Brothe Enterprises to the show today. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to finally get you on since I feel like you should have been one of my first podcast uh, guests, but I'm glad that you could finally come today. So one of the first things I like to, to jump into is, you know, how did you get started on this entrepreneurial path? Sure. It's, uh, I've worked for people that own their own business and that always inspired me. Uh, so back in 2005, I had finally had enough of them all and <laughs> decided to go off on my own. And so that meant uh, finding a good price point and a good a number of services that we didn't offer at Apple. And it kind of grew from there. Uh, it, it really was uh, finding that need and filling it and finding some good partners like Apple to feed me business over the years. Mm -hmm. And was there anything that, like, you know, when you made that decision that you were like, well, hopefully this works. If not, you know, I'll go back to, you know, working for corporate America or you're like, no, I'm never going back. I sold probably foolishly, my 100 shares of Apple stock <laughs> and took out a $2,000 Yellow Pages ad and said, I'm in. I, I don't care. I'm in. And so it started slowly. The first year was four grand in, in revenue. Mm -hmm. But then uh, January of the next year, I landed my first client, which was a retail store that needed some help on a number of different projects. So uh, yeah, it was. Uh, and even though I had some, um, I, I call Apple my ex-wife that keeps coming back. Um, uh, and then I've gone back to work for them a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been in business now. This is our 18th year. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Now, how? so you were talking about how you were trying to figure out what need to fill, right? So how did you decide something like that? Was it something you were already passionate about or you had seen in working with, you know, some of these other entrepreneurs that they were like, oh, well, they're not doing this thing that I think... I should probably take over. Yeah, I, I think as um, as a student and, and working for a, a gas station owner, working for a singles resort owner, uh, I knew what they needed from people uh, mm -hmm. even before I started on my own. And so I always saw my businesses still today see, see ourselves as being that glue for people. Back then it was the glue of being your uh, point of sales support or being your HR uh, support or helping you with some technical stuff. And now it's it's transitioned really into being the glue for people who are trying to find a job. Yeah, which is what you transitioned to because yeah. that's not where you started. Exactly. Now, what were you doing specifically where you started? 
when I started, it was uh, at Apple, and uh, this isn't really revealing any big secret. Uh, there's only so many things we could do at the store. Right. Uh, so I couldn't like build a website, for example, right. at the store. I couldn't uh, sell a computer and then go to somebody's house and set it up. Mm-hmm. So uh, I used that as a starting point. And, and, and so what I wanted to do was kind of almost be the gateway drug, if you will, for mm-hmm. my business was helping people with their technical problems. Right. And then from there, once they establish that trust and that rapport, I'd uncover other things they need. Like, well, I need help with a podcast, for example. That was one an early client. I need, And I still work with him today. Uh, I need help uh, getting some uh, pictures of products up on a website. I need you to put some cameras in my house so my kids don't party while I'm out of town. You know? <laughs> and, and, and so then that, that evolved into, um, I didn't want to travel so much anymore, you know, going door to door. I read a great book called The 4-Hour Workweek that mm-hmm. talks about over time you have to attrition some of the things you used to enjoy doing because the time sink. You know, I'd go an hour in one direction to make $100 and then go an hour in the other direction. And now with this new, uh, most successful branch of our business, the career service station, I can do uh, resumes from home or wherever I'm at. Even before I came, got here today, I was over at Panera Bread writing a resume for somebody. Right, right. Now, you started the career service station like four years ago? Yep, yep. Um, and how did that transpire? Sure. Like, was it just somebody asked and you're like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then you're like, well, wait, this <clears throat> could be something. Uh, over the years, as a professor and a, and, a, and a just a good friend to people, I, I, my resume is almost the same format I've, I've done for 30 years, and it worked for me in every every iteration. So uh, I was sitting in a coffee shop with my assistant at the time, uh, and she's like, you know, why don't we blow up this resume idea? And you used to work at a gas station. Let's call it the career service station. So it just <laughs> kind of grew from there. Uh, and uh, so the first year was kind of quiet, um, but... We built up that momentum, you know, 20 or 30 successful clients, and now we're up to almost 200 a year of uh, people that were helping find oh, wow. that job. Wow, that's a lot. And you're doing um, CD resumes, cover letters, and then did you start dabbling into the LinkedIn as well? Yeah, I, and I try to get people uh, on that route of, of the comprehensive uh, resume, cover letter, LinkedIn profile, because you're more than just a piece mm-hmm. of paper. Right. I think, you know, there's some really talented people out there that have four LinkedIn connections, and uh, they just uh, live in their little echo chamber for one reason or another. So I found my most successful candidates are the ones that, that have a not only a polished resume, but that uh, LinkedIn and the cover letters the icing on the cake. Right. So... Going back to when you made this transition, how did you feel at that time versus how do you feel now? Having like you're still an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Like you run your own business mm-hmm. businesses, I would say, yeah. and you're still doing like the professor thing as well. But like, how did you feel about going into that? I felt um, excited. Uh, I have always said what's made our business successful is we do boring work well. <laughs> Not everybody wants to go in and update some old lady's computer because they, they hit something they shouldn't on the keyboard. Sure. And how many times have I had to do that on a Mac? Uh, not a lot of people. Uh, there's a, and, and there's a ton of people that write resumes, but I knew that we could do it a little better. And working for uh, a company like Apple, where Steve Jobs was all about not necessarily coming up with something new, but doing something better, that inspired me because mm. I'm like, I know there's a lot of people that do the work that I do, but we can do it a little bit better and, and make it more personal. Hmm. Interesting. Now, do you think there's going to be anything else that you'll add 
to your professional plate, whether it's you transition out of this and like you could sell it, or do you think you'll add another service? Do you think you'll go into a different business altogether? I want to be a, mu- a music producer, <laughs> and I'm getting music? there. I I, okay. uh, <clears throat> I became a lyricist. I published one in 2015. A friend of mine and I published an album called uh, Fresh Oil and Chips uh, down in Nashville. Uh, there's a street sign I saw. I said, oh, I don't know who's fresh oil and who's chips. But I knew then, um, I always would kind of have jingles in my head. Uh, and so now I have uh, two other musicians I'm writing with, one's from Berkeley College of Music. And I don't want to be on the front of the microphone. I want to be behind the scenes. And okay. so I'll send Hannah or uh, Louisa or in some cases Brian uh, something I've, I've come up with and just let them work the magic. So I, I even call Hannah my Elton John because she has got a way of taking my Bernie Taupin lyrics and, and turning them into the Elton John story, and her, her being the, uh, the star of the show, if you will. Very interesting. Do you think that'll turn into, like, you know, you know Grammy nominations or any of the other VP, you know, music stuff that's out there award-wise? I, I've never been a big, you know, you don't need a title to be vital. I, I, Grammy would be nice, but I would love to have one hit. If I could have one hit with Hannah or Brian or Louisa or somebody else that comes mm-hmm. along, that would be pretty exciting. But just to, just to hear on my own phone uh, or my own radio, my songs come on on Apple Music is pretty exciting. Mm, that is very interesting. So you're just writing them. Are you actually playing music for them as well? Sometimes they'll ask for a little creative direction. Uh, like I sent one to Louisa the other day and said, hey, uh, I, I kind of wrote this as if Dua Lipa would sing it. So can you can you, you know, see what you can do? So she actually went through and she's mm-hmm. like, I'm not a big Dua Lipa fan, Robert, but... I listened to some of her other stuff, and, mm-hmm. and, and she put together a, a Dua Lipa-like performance on, oh. on this song, so we'll see where that one goes. Very interesting. Do you think that satisfies, like, your creativeness? Oh, yeah. I have the most vivid dreams, and I think it's because I get more sleep. than I'm not that entrepreneur that's you know, bragging about getting up at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> 6.30 is good. Sometimes I'll be up at 5 and you know, doing whatever, but... Um, but for me, I, I have to take what comes into my head, whether it's a fully blown out song or just a vision of something, and, and get it out of my head. So that's a lot of fun. And one of my favorite things is, I, I uh, like any person that wants to aspire, I have a music coach. Uh, so Diana Domingo is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And she taught me this great activity where just write for three minutes. Don't even have a, a, even a, a speck of an idea necessarily, just start writing, and that's how some of my best creativity comes out, just setting like an egg timer and, and, and writing away. Hmm, very interesting. So where do you think, or like where do you foresee things going in the next five, 10, 15 years? Like do you have intentions of retiring and being like, I'm just gonna completely <clears throat> sideline everything and do something else? Or you know, what are your intentions you know, with your business? I have been uh, telling people one of two stories. Uh, I'm 20% retired, which is mostly true because I, I haven't worked a Friday since I started the career service station. And I am retired, which is kind of true as well because I haven't worked for Apple now in uh, since 2018 and they're probably the only company I'd go back and work for. But I, I get to live a life now working about 30, 32 hours a week. I work when I want to. I have 17 weeks off a year from teaching. so. Mm-hmm. I, I'm living almost a retired lifestyle at right. 49, and so I'd like to be doing what I'm doing now in a similar lifestyle for at least another 10 years before maybe I do 
the traditional retirement and you know play shuffleboard or something. Right. I mean, I don't think you're going to fully be able to retire no. personally, but do you have an idea of what that might look like? You know, do you think you'll transition your business to someone else or do you think you'll just do less time? A few years ago, I wrote a, uh, and, and I've got to update it because you know, planning 50 years out is tough, but exactly. I wrote a website, Vision 2060, of where I envision myself still being very active in my own company. And I think with the work that I do and, and you know, the um, going back to that four-hour work week book mm -hmm. of delegating and eliminating uh, the right things, I could work at this pace uh, for as long as I would like. So I, I don't think I'll ever stop working. Um, one of my... Um, favorite entrepreneur is a uh, bit controversial. Uh, Vince McMahon says, you know, there's two words in that, that aren't in his vocabulary, vacation and retirement, because he gets to work, you know, every week when he was still working, uh, you know, go into a different city uh, and he get to live the life of his dream. So I think what retirement might look like for me may be uh, extending my two-week January trip to four weeks mm -hmm. and, and going for a couple more longer trips a year. Although I, I find the two or three day workation is great where you go to a different city, take your laptop with you and and then you know, work a couple hours a day and then go have fun. Right, right. And I know you like to travel too. Um, what would you say, and I don't know if you've had this in your 50 year plan necessarily, but do you have a legacy that you want to leave behind? I tell my students, I want the work that we do at Brathe Enterprises and the Career Service Station to be remembered 500 years from now. And of course, that's not something that we can easily predict. Sure. <laughs> but if, if somebody who's hard on their luck, that I took a piece of paper and made them into the, find the job they desire and deserve, and then that passes on to the next generation, the next generation, there's where we find that you know, scope impact. Uh, so I think by doing that boring work well and helping people, we all gotta work. We all want to work. You know, there's yeah. that balance there, uh, and I think the work that we're doing will leave that legacy behind of being able to uh, leave that lasting impact uh, in in putting people in the right place. Hmm. Oh, that's pretty powerful. Now, if you were talking to, and I know we've done this, uh, talking to other entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, what advice would you give them about? either going into business for themselves or, you know, joining a company that maybe they are going to do the same thing, right? They work for Apple or they work for, like, a big corporation, but they have intentions of eventually going out on their own. You know, what would you tell them? I would encourage them to take a similar path in working for a company that embraces having their employees do other things, you know, whether it be a Starbucks or an Apple or uh, Amazon, uh, where maybe they have, or even Google, uh, where they have a culture where they almost expect you to have other other projects that you work on. Uh, I would uh, try not to be risk averse, you know, and I, I talked to somebody the other day about this, and like, Robert, you aren't risk averse, you actually take a lot of risks, and sometimes I forget that. So don't let um, money uh, or time be an inhibitor. Uh, I often say that time plus energy equals money, power, and opportunity. Mm -hmm. So. As long as the quality of the time and the energy that you put into it is, is valuable, that will turn into the money and the power and the opportunity that you crave. Um, build your network. That would be a big one. Um, connect with anybody and everybody possible. And don't be afraid to disconnect if, if somebody's becoming a time sink or a, a clown. Uh, there's, um, 
and, and a good example of a clown is what I like to call a localist. And then this is the kind of person that will meet you, and then they'll go down to the local cemetery and see if there's three gravestones going back to the 1800s that are in your last name. And only then will they consider you a local. So avoid those kind of people. Oh, my God. Yeah, that doesn't sound very fun. Um, what about, you know, obviously you can't tell someone how to deal with things emotionally, right? <laughs> or the, the trials and tribulations, that unknown that comes with being a business owner. And I know, like, when we first met, which was, like, like it was six years ago at this yeah. point, right? Um, and you were, I would say you were in that unknown phase at that time. You know, how would you, not necessarily our articulate advice, but like, how would you say how you've gotten through? Cause you kept going back, right? Like, it's not like you're like, I'm done with this cause I don't know what I'm doing. And went back to Apple and said like, I'm not going back, right? Like you kept pushing forward, you know, what, what continued to make you drive and like, how could you get someone else? To be like, hey, don't give up. I think it, what's really paid off for me is I don't solve all of my own problems. Mm. You know, I had uh, financial challenges, and I came to you and Jason when you were right. working there. Uh, I had fitness issues, and I went to a, and had a trainer for a while. Uh, vocal. I've, I've never been necessarily comfortable. I've been comfortable with this kind of talk or voice, but not necessarily my singing voice. So I went to somebody mm -hmm. for that. So. There's always somebody that, that look for the helpers. So always be willing to ask for help. Always be willing to ask for help because it's it's uh, you don't want to become too dependent on it. But, but you 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 don't have to do. Nobody is going to give you an award for doing it. This person was a successful entrepreneur because they did everything themselves. Right. So I think this brings up an interesting transition about delegation, and it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs usually mention, especially on the show when I ask them about advice, you're always willing to ask for help. And over the years, you have le I feel like you have leveraged that immensely. So talk about that in more detail, because you were you doing that originally when you were still working at Apple and getting into Brothy Enterprises? Did you have like interns at that time? Yeah, when I wanted to really blow up my business into something more around 2011, I decided to give five of my current students a chance, and it was really out of um, a desire to give them their first chance in HR, marketing, etc. So I'd mm -hmm. give them some freelance projects or teach them how to do some of the things I do. Uh, and so we've worked with like 700 students now over the years, oh, giving wow. them that first internship opportunity. And the, the next phase of that was, okay, let's not just make this a learning lab uh, where they're really getting all the benefit. If they're really good and they want to make a little bit of money, why not delegate and pay them? Uh, mm -hmm. So with my resume work, um, I'm, I'm the customer-facing uh, en entity, but <clears throat> I get that comic book or 14-font resume for somebody that I don't want to deal with. I'll pay somebody, uh, one of my five freelancers, get this into an acceptable format, then I can do my work. So mm -hmm. I can farm out $10, $15, $40, whatever it is, to give these people some writing credit and, and to get, take some of that load off of me so I can do what I'm an expert at. I don't want to format fonts. I don't want to format spacing on, on sentences. Um, but yeah, I think it's important, and I think a lot of companies, especially entrepreneurs, take on an intern. Every, there's so many students that just want real experience, not just making a cup of coffee, and, and right. we've been able to give them that. Right. So I find this as an argument a lot of the times with professionals, and 
their argument is, well, you know, I'm capable of doing the work, right? Which is never the argument that you're not capable. Right. Um, but they're like, why would I pay someone else? to do that right and it's not like you're paying them exactly what you would be charging for your services so was that something that ever came up in your mind like oh i'm losing x amount of dollars if i if i delegate this out or do you feel like you were able to truly maximize your time oh it's it's it truly maximize the time uh, i i even uh, when i tell students thing i got to follow my own advice and and there's other formulas that other people will give you but i i kind of abide by the the business owner should value their time at minimum two hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars an hour, and you're not always getting that. You know? Right. But, but you're getting value if you're going to a high value event and meeting five important people. That's that's a five hundred dollar an hour task. Mm-hmm. Then you have your forty or fifty dollar project where maybe it's, uh, hey, I need you to go to this event for me, or I need you to do this. Then you have your grunt work, uh, like uh, your your like a teaching assistant. You mm-hmm. know, they would get something like fifteen dollars an hour. So you you, you got to figure out what that you know admin position, that junior or middle level creative person getting forty to fifty an hour or forty to fifty per project or more is, and then you start charging enough where you can justify also helping other people out along the way. You know, I got a yeah. young lady from Panama who was a 1099, now granted she only made, uh, I don't know, uh, 2000 from me last year, but she did 50 resumes getting them to the point where I could do my wordsmithing and, and the things that only I can do, mm-hmm. and that's so valuable. So I think early on, as soon as possible as a business owner, you've got to find those things that you can uh, first eliminate, and I, I think you doing that first is tougher than the actual delegating because we want to do everything. Right, right, right. It's it's hard to not have control. Right. And, you know, when you get other people involved, you get other personalities and you get other ideas, which I think there's, there's benefits to that as well, right? Because you don't know everything there is to know about what it is that you are doing, even if you are really good at it. Um, but it's, it's an argument. Yeah. It's definitely, you're on one side of the fence or the other. You're not usually in the middle where like, yes, I absolutely think, you know, we should do that if we found the right person. Um, talk to me about, and, and maybe this doesn't even apply to you, but like, is there anything at this point in your entrepreneurial career as being, you know, being a business owner that stresses you out that you haven't been able to quite <coughs> figure out how to solve? There's every day. There's some kind of battle, uh, but the wars aren't as long as they used to be. Uh, if that makes sense, uh, I think early on there was uh, wanting to be accepted in the community, and and that happened over time. Uh, going back to the localism thing, you know. Well, mm-hmm. if you, you kind of understand where people are coming from, and maybe they want to do something because this person lives here, and and, and that's all they know. Um, but these days, I think it's just. Um, helping people, and I've got five things that, that generally annoy me with people, and, and the opposites are what I like about people. So we'll talk about the opposites. So the things I want to see, following simple directions. That's a big frustration point. If mm-hmm. you've got an intern or a, a client that just can't follow simple directions, uh, their inability to speak positively. You know, and, and We're not sunshine and rainbows, but if you hear somebody all the right. time, I give up, uh, I'm over this. They're not over it, by the way, when they say that. <laughs> Um, like the Eeyore mentality yeah, sort of thing. Exactly. And, and sometimes I forget that list of five, so I'm going to pull it up. But there's there's not a lot. Of, the, the big problems don't become big anymore because we do 
there's a great book, uh, Principles by Ray Dalio, um, that uh, talks about when you have a problem in your business, you know, the sooner that you address it, you'll never have those big problems that you have to deal mm-hmm. with. So the five little things are, yeah, being able to follow simple directions, speaking positively, not saying I'm confused, which is a dead end. Confused people belong in hospitals. <laughs> so you should never say confused. Um, inability to communicate effectively. And that means yeah. you've got to write well, speak well. Uh, managing time, and that's something we try to teach everybody, whether it be a client or a job seeker or an intern. And the ability to say you're sorry. There's nothing, mm. a lot of people say, well, if you say you're sorry, you're admitting guilt. No, you're just acknowledging that that person's hurt and uh, you've made a mistake and we can all come back from it. So, yeah. so I think those are the five battles we always will fight. And, and, and because um, the, the two biggest war criminals out there are general public and major minor things. And major minor things usually is always you know trying to fight you on these things. They don't say they're sorry and, and they don't communicate right. I think this is good for advice also. <laughs> these are things not to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the other word that you hate? Busy. Busy. Busy is, uh, as uh, Tim Ferriss puts it, uh, is the sign, the ultimate sign of laziness. Uh, it's just, how are you doing today? I'm busy. We're busy. Are you busy? It, it, it's almost like a, it, let's move on. It's the new how you doing. Mm. If you want to find, and I don't know who came up with this quote, if you want to find somebody that actually will do something for you, you find an actual busy person, not a pseudo busy. Mm-hmm. People that say that they're busy aren't busy. The people that really are busy are actually too busy to think about that. They're just working and, and getting it done. So, yeah, busy and confused are two irritants. Hmm. I think they're words that are probably overused a lot, and people just kind of stick them in because they don't have anything better to say in that at that particular situation. But interesting. Um, anything else that's on your plate that you're working on right now that you want to share? I'm starting to entertain the idea of going back out on the speaking circuit again and, and doing some workshops, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be uh, the kind of stuff you and I used to do, uh, where we, you know, rent a hotel lobby and, and do a talk uh, up to... You can do it here doing now. Some, now. Now I can do it here <laughs> hangar. Um, uh, to doing some uh, workshops at companies. You know, I've been able to mm-hmm. speak at Apple, Weston Hotels, um, um, and, and some other brands locally uh, about things like project management and time management. And now that everybody's a little bit more open to this face-to-face again. Uh, I'd love to do uh, some more of those 90-minute uh, you know, to seminar-like format uh, talks. And then, um, and then uh, I'm still loving my teaching. That's going to be something I, 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 like Tom Brady, I keep threatening to retire and, and coming don't. back. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see if that ever happens. But I will. Uh, the, the first thing I will give up is the classroom, classroom teaching uh, at, at some point uh, because I got a lot of online teaching and that's the wave of the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know you've been working on that for the last couple of years. Um, this is something I haven't been asking on this podcast that I wanted to incorporate it because I feel like it's interesting. Uh, one cool fact about yourself. One cool fact about myself. I have met just about all my heroes that I've wanted to uh, so, so far. You have to list them off because yes. I think people <laughs> need to know yes. who they uh, are. Michelle Branch, six times. And uh, she knows who you are She now. knows who I am. Uh, she actually gave me some great songwriting advice. Uh, oh, nice. Two, two visits ago with her. Uh, she made a Zoom call. Uh, William Shatner, three times. Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, and um, 
Olivia Newton-John, rest in peace. I mm-hmm. saw her about 10 years ago. Uh, and then um, uh, coming up for my 50th birthday, I'm meeting the band Chicago before their show at Turning Stone. So, oh, that's really fun. So I, I, I like investing in experiences. I'm not one of these, I got to go, uh, you know, get, a, get the fancy car. Uh, my doctor friend says, stick with a Honda. That's the ultimate business, successful business person's car is the Honda. <laughs> Don't go beyond that. Then you're living beyond your means. <laughs> Uh, although I could afford more than a Honda, that's, that's not for me. But I, I want more experiences like that. So next on my list, Dua Lipa. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure, as always, to hear about what you're working on and kind of where you came from as well. And I'm hoping that our audience got a lot out of that. Uh, I hope to have you on again to see where you're at. And maybe you at that point you can tell us about your experience with Dua Lipa, Lipa? Dua Lipa. Dua Lipa. Uh, I know who that is, but like, not a typical name. Um, and then what else you might be working on at that time as well. Sounds terrific, Chrissy. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome.